Good morning. Rebecca, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, welcome. welcome everyone. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Maria Svetkova, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Connor Fraser. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Thank you, Maria. And I really wanted to emphasize that we are doing this show live. So if you're out there and you want to tweet in, uh, just tag us at B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. We're watching our Twitter feed right now. We can ask a live question. So let's get into the issue for today. Are Canadian students being set up for success as adults in a democratic society? A functional democracy requires its citizens to participate fully in collective institutions which serve the public interest and create public value. In this episode, we are looking at the role that civics education plays in creating a healthy, happy society. We believe that a strong civics civics education provides up-and-coming citizens with the relevant knowledge and tool sets necessary for participating respectfully in the democratic process to achieve the social outcomes that they want. Some observers claim that the current civics curricula are inadequate in preparing students for their adult roles as civic participants. And in this episode, we have invited two experts to join us for a conversation about the role of civics civics education in contemporary democracies. Our first guest, Rebecca Rajsak, will speak about the landscape of the modern civics classroom in Ontario and what could be improved from an educator's perspective. Our second speaker, Dimitri Pavlounis, will join at 11.30 to discuss the role of civics education more broadly, how civics education is linked to democratic outcomes, and his work with Civics, which is a nonprofit organization which leads the Popular Students Vote program in civic classroom, civics classrooms across Canada. Bit of a tongue twister uh, with so many with the civics in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll turn it back to you, Maria. Thank you. Uh, welcome. And thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Uh, everyone, Rebecca is a program leader of English, Canada and World Studies, Social Sciences and Humanities, First Nations, Métis and Inuit Studies, and library services at a high school in Burlington. She teaches English, civics and careers, special education, and I-STEM classes. She holds a master's degree in literature from Queen's University. Woot woot, I love Queen's. As well as a bachelor degree in English at U of W and education at Western. Rebecca is a dedicated and passionate anti-colonial, anti-racist, and anti-oppressive educator and chairs as a mentor on her school's student equity club. Thanks again so much, Rebecca, for joining us on the show. I'm going to start off by asking you, can you briefly introduce yourself and the journey that led you to become a teacher of high school civics? Yes. Uh, well, uh, so I started teaching uh, in 2006 uh, through the Waterloo School Board was my first teaching gig. And uh, from there, I moved to a private school in North York. Uh, and then from there, I landed myself in the Halton District School Board, uh, and I have been working since 2007 in that board, uh, and happy to be um, a part of this board too. Uh, it holds us to a standard that I, I appreciate and I feel proud about daily. Um, and uh, I have recently become program leader uh, of uh, uh, 
all the subjects that you mentioned before, English, Canada World Studies, um, the languages and social sciences and humanities. Uh, and I'm happy to finally be in that role and inspiring students as they become change agents uh, and take on the future that they will be inheriting. That's that's amazing. I mean, I'm an alumni of Eldershot High School as well. So oh, it's yay. great to reconnect <laughs> with, a, with a teacher from Eldershot and know that they're in good hands. But yeah, uh, you. just, you know, the first the first question that we would ask uh, generally, like, what is civics education uh, and what is its purpose? Like, what are we trying to teach our students here? Right. Well, civics, civics education is a is a course that explores, if I had to break it down, that explores the rights and responsibilities associated with being an active citizen in a democratic society. Uh, students explore issues of civic importance and the influence of social media, while also developing their understanding of the role of civic engagement and the political process in the local, national, and global arenas. Uh, students apply these concepts of political thinking then uh, and political inquiry, uh, the process to investigate and express informed opinions uh, about a range of political issues and developments that are both of significance in today's world and also of personal interest to them. Uh, this course is important because it introduces students to the political spectrum of ideas, how Canada's government is formed essentially. Uh, it introduces learning on digital literacy and critical thinking skills, all very important skills to have today. The mechanisms of government, uh, indigenous governance systems and structures as well, which is equally important to learn about, uh, as well as the historical foundations of the rights and freedoms we enjoy in Canada, ways in which government policy affects all of our lives as well as the economy and also ways for students to just better serve their communities. Could you um, briefly walk us through Ontario's current civics curriculum for high school students and you know how would an average student experience the course? Certainly. So the, the course begins with introducing students to political systems and how societies are governed. Uh, civics is a branch of politics that focuses on the rights and responsibilities associated with citizenship, the role of governments, and how people can get involved with the political process and take action on issues of civic importance. So the study of civics then supports students in becoming informed, engaged, and active citizens in the various communities to which they belong, whether at the local, national, or global level. So the course then is typically organized into three broad areas of learning, the political inquiry and skill development, uh, civic awareness, and then civic engagement, service, and action. Uh, students learn to analyze issues, events, and develop, and develop, uh, sorry, uh, they learn to analyze issues and develop um, things that are important to them by asking focused questions, gathering information, evaluating the information, drawing conclusions, and communicating their results and their final products. Uh, kids typically then experience the course as it being very project heavy or project centered. Uh, what I mean by this is that the course has students complete one project, say for like a week, a week and a half, deliver or produce the final product of that, and then move on to the next unit and subsequent project and so on until the course is over in eight weeks. What I find this generally does is it results in either greater apathy or confusion about our political system. Mm -hmm. uh, trends show that students are more likely to become disengaged from their learning from one of two scenarios. They are bored or they are just frustrated. Mm -hmm. So if they are bored, they turn to other sources of information for their political understanding, uh, having to also navigate a lot of misunder misinformation that comes along mm -hmm. with that and uh, misunderstanding. 
on social media sites and fake news sites and all yeah. the stuff that go with that. And then on the flip side, flip, on the flip side of that, the struggling learners who may not benefit from a class that is structured with being very project heavy may become apathetic towards the whole political system in general and kind of leave it not really caring or ever really feeling the need or desire to become involved um, just with the simple, easy step of just going to the polls and voting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, Rebecca, I wanted to follow up there and just ask like, in what ways is, is the way that we teach civics in Ontario perhaps not aligned with the goals of what a robust civics education should be? Like you mentioned there that the course is only eight weeks long, like that's yeah. a constraint. And also that, you know, maybe just the curriculum, There's is, is that the length really the issue or is there something deeper about the way that we're teaching civics that's also part of the story here? I think it's a combination of both how the length of it and also how we're teaching it. So in eight weeks, it's it's really difficult to cover all the things that you would like to cover, all the cool content that I would like to dive deeper in about political issues and getting kids kind of like passionate and excited about being change agents and how to get involved in their community and uh, bring about the change that they would like to see in the areas that are important to them, like affordable housing or affordable tuition or um, just things that are generally more important mm-hmm. to a youth audience. So there, there is that desire to become involved, but if the course is delivered uh, either too quickly or um, in a way that maybe doesn't uh, passionately engage students, then they are definitely kind of feeling like it's not as an important course, say, for example, it's like the math or sciences. And it's a course that maybe they don't always invest a lot of energy towards then because mm-hmm there's not a passionate educator on the other side, maybe delivering it in a way that gets them excited about how to be change agents and embrace politics in a way that doesn't have to always end in conflict or division, because that's kind of what the world has been like lately. Um, Since you mentioned earlier, the difficulty of having to navigate, you know, the whole media landscape that's filled with misinformation, disinformation, fake news, et cetera, how would you or how could we incorporate critical thinking in the digital space in the classroom so that, you know, students have the tools to be able to decipher between what's maybe biased news and what's uh, more authentic, uh, genuine information? Yeah. And uh, I'm glad you asked that, too, because um, uh, there's been a lot of discussion around chat GPT lately. Too. Yeah. <laughs> what is that changing? How is that changing the digital landscape of our classrooms? So I think learning how to identify and be able to spot sources of misinformation and fake mm-hmm. news is a great starting point. Um, students spend a lot of their time on social media. So learning how to harness that power in a positive way. Um, recently, and perhaps more conversely, as I was mentioning, our conversations around the use of chat GPT in our schools and what the pitfalls or benefits this could this technology could bring to our classrooms and Uh, I would argue that this technology is not going away. So Mm -hmm. it's better to teach our students to uh, learn how to effectively engage with it as critical thinkers um, and as another tool to support their learning. Uh, I like to frame it to my students as it's almost like having a personal assistant with you at all times, that assistant being the entire catalog of the internet. Um, So in using the internet, you're going to get all the good with all the bad too. So knowing how to sort through that information and teaching students to be able to recognize, oh, okay, so that's great, that's important, but this is wrong, I need to change this or I need to do more research about that. 
Um, so being able to teach students how to be asking the right critical thinking questions mm -hmm. becomes even more super important. Um, and I see um, crit, uh, crit careers in civics being an opportunity for perhaps this technology to be um, explored deeper mm -hmm. um, with the increased work that they do. And the, on the flip side, the self-reflective work that they, they do with the course careers is usually, or sorry, civics is paired with careers. Um, but yeah, I think kind of navigating those two landscapes and also teaching or covering or reviewing how to have effective research skills mm -hmm. in general too, um, where students know how to be able to recognize a, uh, an inaccurate source um, and not be able to trust it as a reliable source of information. Mm -hmm. I also want to pick your brain about something. So Sure. <laughs> currently, uh, currently the civics and careers class is introduced in grade 10. How, what do you think about maybe moving that to grade 11 or 12 or having, um, the reason I say that is because in grade 12 is when the students are either turning 18 or have already turned 18. And so they're now the voting age. I think maybe it would be more beneficial to have a civics class in grade 12 and also grade 11, maybe scrap the grade 10 if necessary. Yeah, and I tend to agree with that, too, because when we think about when students are able to actually vote for the first time, mm -hmm. typically when that happens, they might not already be living at home. Like they might mm -hmm. not or they might not still be living at home. They might have relocated to the city that they have decided to attend their post-secondary learning mm -hmm. from. And their voter card might be sent to their actual like parents address. And then where do they vote in the city that they're living in? So all those new things that a new voter maybe might not know how to answer and then maybe just simply not do or follow through with because it seems more of a, a bigger thing than it needs to be. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, yes, I think um, moving this to grade 11 or grade 12 uh, when the student is perhaps more mature to be hearing these conversations. Yeah. Um, grade 10 in general, I find is a challenging year for students. Um, I don't know what it is about that special year, but it is the the money pot year of just it's, it's a challenging year for a host of reasons, a variety of reasons as students begin to navigate young adulthood. So yeah. moving it to um, grade 11 or 12 when they can be having deeper and richer inquiry and discussion and research uh, would be a valuable conversation to be made. Yeah. When I was in grade 10. I was like 14 and I was not thinking about these types of topics. Exactly. Then, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're 15, right? In grade 10. That's yeah. a young yeah. considering this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the world's a scary place at 15. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to uh, uh, step in here just with a couple of things, noting that we are doing a live show today. So we're encouraging everyone listening to tweet at beyond underscore headlines with their questions. Um, and uh, we'll we'll try to incorporate them into the show. And I also wanted to note that beyond uh, CIUT FM, which is our host radio station that we have, uh, you know, a huge privilege to be airing on live as master students from the Monk School of Global Affairs. They're doing their spring fundraiser uh, this month and next. So please give generously um, if you if you like our content, if you like hearing us bring on like such esteemed guests every week. www.beyondtheheadlines.net/slash/donate our page is open right now. We really appreciate any, um, you know, any any donation you can give and any contribution. And uh, CIUT is Canada's largest community radio station and nonprofit as well. So it's going to a good cause. Um, Thanks, Connor. Thank you. And <clears throat> and Rebecca, just circling back on the on the digital space uh, on, on that topic, like 
has the curriculum really adapted to uh, you know, require that teachers incorporate critical thinking in the digital space? Like from what you described, it's kind of like a little bit fluid right now. Like as a teacher, you can kind of incorporate those into your lessons. Is the curriculum actually mandate, made, mandating right now that teachers, um, you know, include some lessons to teach students how to use this content uh, properly and in a healthy way? Yes. So it is part of the curriculum to cover uh, digital literacy and uh understanding sources of misinformation. Um, but uh, I would also argue too that um, perhaps if, like I, I'm from a unique advantage of also being an English teacher and also uh, being connected to library services at my school. So I am also kind of like connected to that world of research and uh, properly documenting my sources and our, our research. So I naturally build that in as an educator. Uh, so I think um, having the the com that is a combination that's needed in that situation. So it's not so much of just doing a quick lesson on how to identify a fake news site, but also building it in as an intentional practice in your classes on how to have students spot a reliable source. And even kind of going old school with doing an annotated works cited page where they had to, where they have to identify, um, summarize the source and then answer, how is this source going to help me? Mm -hmm. um, the research that I'm doing, and then I get some thinking and interacting a little bit more about the text source than what kids typically do today, Google, cut and paste, scan, put into document, and then you get this like hodgepodge of like a buffet of options, and some of it might be accurate, some of it might not be accurate, and they're just kind of hoping for the final grade, but how to build in that critical thinking all throughout so that they're constantly questioning, um, well, is this a source that is referred to in multiple platforms or is it just like the one source that I'm finding it on or the one platform I'm finding it on? So that might be a general red flag when the story is not repeated anywhere else on the major sites. Um, or is it something that they found on a social media website and uh, certain stuff like that? So I think um, navigating the digital spaces, it's, it is part of the curriculum to um, go over digital literacy. Uh, but I think it also has to be paired with like knowing how to do effective research too. Mm -hmm. And if students aren't necessarily going deeper with their research skills in a grade 10 course, how deep can you really go? Um, I, I think it needs to be built in as like a, as a, a regular unit, um, which might be something that's overlooked in a grade 10 mm -hmm. civics class. And is digital literacy um, only kind of worked on in the civics classroom or is it something that spans the other um, courses? It is built in through a lot of curriculum, um, throughout a lot of subject areas. So, mm -hmm. um, but predominantly, so like with careers, they get like the career literacy side of things mm -hmm. uh, on how to budget the financial literacy. Uh, and then it's paired nicely with civics to look at uh, with you know, when we talk about government budgets and the amount of money that maybe governments are spending uh, that also kind of feeds into like understanding like the digital literacy aspect of that. And then also navigating like the digital world that we, mm -hmm. the digital landscape that students are constantly getting their sources of information from too. Um, so yeah, I think just with those two um, things, like it, it is built in through the other subjects, but um, there is a greater opportunity to go deeper with in civics. Um, especially since in grade 10, they also are taking history. So that is a year that they are mm -hmm. learning a lot of these research skills and how to go deeper with that, that inquiry process. Um, 
we actually have uh, someone who's tweeted in a question. Oh, and I encourage all the uh, people out there who are listening, if you like the conversation, send us a tweet at BYOND underscore headlines. We'll incorporate it into the show. So Samantha Tristan tweets, um, how Rebecca, you mentioned that there is a high volume of projects in civics education right now. What are examples of good projects uh, for students to complete and why? Great question. It is a great question. Um, I I like to frame my entire civics class as um, opportunities for more assessment rather than projects. Mm -hmm. So I, I think as teachers, we go down that rabbit hole of thinking that we have to mark everything um, to have that data uh, for where the, the student's uh, skill set lies in the class. But I think a lot of that could be uh, translated into um, more feedback given to students on the lower stake tasks so that they have uh, an opportunity to improve and practice before they hand something in for a major evaluation. So um, that kind of like gets away from like being a project heavy course. Mm -hmm. And a way that I like to do that is to center students' voice and choice, um, allowing them to choose their own learning path. Uh, and that way it also gets kind of like a student excited about the content as well. So one of the ways that I like to do this is to embed a, um, it used to be called Civic Mirror when I was in high school, but uh, we actually don't have access to the license at our school right now. So we kind of created our own version of a Civic Mirror game, which is unlike traditional textbook or lecture style of a delivery, um, students can organize their own nation and uh, it makes learning a little bit more exciting because they can uh, hopefully never forget the immersive play-based approach that they're taking with this. So how I organize that is students organize um, themselves into a political party and they have to research then what makes up a good political party and what are the things that are needed to have a strong political leader. They have to design a platform and make a campaign and then drawing on an earlier activity that we do with Civics Canada, uh, they like to organize student vote. Uh, so in an election year, uh, our students also like to run student vote where the students vote on the election results as if it were a real thing to compare it to the actual election results of society to just to see what, where, where those numbers are, are similar or different and where they compare. Um, so how we can kind of continue them learning how to do the student vote. What they do is with this civics mirror game that I rebranded and created for my students, uh, they keep this going when we aren't in an election year. So they learn the skills early on um, where they uh, have to um, organize bi-weekly bi -weekly elections amongst themselves. And then a winning party is elected for two weeks and they are in charge of the classroom or in charge of like, in charge of the space for mm -hmm. two weeks and they have to design and pass a law uh, into a, a bill into a law. And if uh, we use monopoly money and also like food and energy stamps uh, to indicate uh, food and energy. Um, and then at the end of the week, we settle up accounts. And if the people are happy, they can reelect the party that's in, or if they are unhappy and displeased, then they can hold another election and campaign with the other groups. And then the students can reelect it. Um, a different party. So what I feel like this does is it builds in learning without an actual project attached to it. Mm -hmm. So in a class that is project heavy, if I were to turn this into an assignment, kids right. might not want to do it. But 
um, I actually kind of get buy-in with a completion grade where it's like you come with your group prepared to do this political speech. You get a completion grade for doing it. And I treat it as assessment for homework, kind of like a homework check. Um, And then that way um, the students are a little more invested in doing the work so that we can follow that up with a reflection. And then that would be the evaluation. So I'm not really sure if I answered your question, but I think I did in a roundabout way where I kind of addressed like how I would structure it in a way that isn't project heavy, that still kind of gets in a decent amount of grades within the eight weeks that we have. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you, Connor, but my uh, civics class was not at all like this. This sounds great. This is amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, but I'm happy you mentioned the... Um, uh, like the completion grade as opposed to like an actual assessment because I typically find that if it's and even still to this day if it's assignment after assignment it doesn't uh, it, it makes it it's more of a chore now now it's more work that I have to do otherwise I would actually genuinely be interested in learning about this stuff but because it's an assignment exactly. that interest kind of fades away yeah. uh, and I feel like oh, the yeah. kids are a little more like genuinely a little bit more excited to learn about it yeah and that was yeah enjoyed the most the game that we did all throughout mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really I'm really happy to hear all that okay Connor um just to just to re, re, reiterate sorry to our listeners that beyond the headlines is produced by master's students within the monk school of global affairs and public policy at the university of toronto and we air on ciut fm and hard house at the uft campus which is canada's largest community radio station uh, a large team of producers across Beyond the Headlines and CIUT are responsible for bringing you the content that you love each week. Uh, but nonprofit community radio really needs your support. We are asking our listeners to give generously by visiting www.beyondtheheadlines.net slash donate. The spring fundraiser is live right now. Our page is live and all proceeds go towards CIUT FM. Thank you very much. Um, so I see that we're coming up to 1130 here mm-hmm. and uh, the transition uh, to our next guest will be uh, shortly. But, um, you know, Rebecca, one one final question that would be interesting to end on is like, does the curriculum right now encourage or leave open the possibility of, uh, you know, a deliberative classroom where current political topics are discussed? Like, do you find that uh, civics classrooms are very apolitical and they're very just focused on, you know, this is the House of Commons, this is the Senate, this is how the machinery of government works? Or is there... Are, are there sufficient opportunities in the curriculum for students to have and practice those debating skills on uh, issues of current importance? Yes, for sure. I would say to both. So um, usually I would start off a civics class with going over all the basic stuff on just like how what forms up the governments, like the municipal, federal um, all the different levels of government um, and talk about the different types too, like what's a monarchy and what's a what's a dictatorship and what's the difference, what, what does fascism mean? Um, and then from there, uh, I tried to make it relevant by turning it back into their world. Um, I find that, I don't know, maybe I was just an unusual child, but I read a lot of news when I was in high school, um, but I find that, um, I don't know, teenagers just don't really read the news. Mm-hmm. So I really try to encourage them to read the news and to be active readers and consumers of the news. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to incorporate like thought books into uh, my classes where students are like sketch noting. Uh, and I have a segment where it's like what like in the news or what in the world uh, that they are actively responding and engaging with the news with. And I, I feel like this is really important in helping to build um, political awareness and also worldly context. Uh, which is a lot of what's maybe missing in conversations Mm -hmm. and then also building in healthy discourse, like how to have 
um, a healthy conversation that doesn't lead into um, conflict or strife. Um, so what I really try to focus on in my classes is uh, taking a rights-based approach, which I feel does align ourselves with um, the way that our society is structured and how that, um, you know, any comment, I, I encourage open political debate in my classroom, uh, but any conversation that's going to infringe on the rights, human rights of another person in that room, uh, then they have to um, learn to frame to attack the idea and not the person. Right. Uh, and I feel like those springboards, like those, those, um, those elements are there. Uh, and it's just about the, the delivery and the, the impact versus intent. No, yeah. it sounds like your students are very lucky to have yeah. such like a, passionate, <laughs> a, a passionate teacher who really cares about civics, despite the fact that it's only an eight week course. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, yes. I think that's important to have that passion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a, I, my favorite teacher to this day was uh, the most passionate high school teacher. Um, and she fought, far surpasses any any of the other's expectations. Shout that's out Miss McPhee, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Anyways, um, I guess that's all the time we have today, Rebecca, but thank you very thank much you. for joining thank us. It was, it was a pleasure chatting with you and learning thank about the civics curriculum. Uh, Beyond the Headlines listeners, once again, that was Rebecca Rejak, who joined us for discussion on civics education in Ontario from an educator's perspective. Thank you for tuning in. For Beyond the Headlines, remember, you can join us in the conversation by tweeting at, tweeting at us on Twitter at B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Once again, we'll be uh, back on in a few minutes with our second guest of the show. Bye. Thank you for having me.